Welcome back into another edition of the Dubcast. Bo Bishop, Johnny Ginter, and we are presented, as always, by the Dry Goods Shop at 11warriors.com, or or perhaps it could be your business that presents <laughs> yeah. Dubcast. As we're now available and open for business, Mr. Ginter, are we not? That's right. Did I misread and- the memo? We're, we're open for business. Let's, uh, if anybody's interested, we would, we would, uh, entertain entertain uh, some sponsorship we it's not something that we've been very outward about in in the past but but we're open to it now are we not yes and and honestly you know i'm not a natural salesman but i'm trying to be because i i really enjoy doing this and i really enjoy talking about sports and i want other people to be kind of aware of that and i think that's a great step towards legitimacy and i also want to help out you know especially a columbus area business that might be interested because i just i like helping out local stuff and i think that would be really awesome if and we get that rolling. So yeah, we're Plus all about we get tremendous reach. I mean, it's yes. tremendous reach in this thing. Absolutely. So, you know, it's, there's value. I mean, instead of pushing the czar's products left and right, <laughs> you know, we can, we can push somebody else's product. I did this for a lot of time on radio. It works out well. You push a lot of product. Yeah. Um, easy to push the Buckeye product this week. I'm going to tell you a quick story, my friend. Uh, I'll try to do it concise and hopefully it's entertaining. Saturday night, um, I'm watching the Ohio State Wisconsin game, as I'm sure you are. And about halftime, I started to have a cocktail or two, right? And uh, it was a pretty brutal first half that led me to drink. And right. I thought, you know what? It's a Saturday night. I'm going to enjoy myself. You know, I still got to get up at, at six with the animals in the morning, but that's fine. So we're, we'll, this is going to be the night where I'm going to have a couple. And so I had a couple cocktails. And I'm watching the game. And at the end of the game, you know, obviously, it goes the way that it goes. And I always do my three things at the end of the game. I've been doing those for a lot of years. And I put them out on social media. And I went to bed and I remember very vividly as I was doing the three things, like kind of writing in uh, almost angrily, uh, <laughs> a little bit of like anger as I was writing these little brief thoughts. Like, like, yeah, I was kind of like, God, God, why was this so hard? Did it? Whatever. So yeah. um, Saturday morning, Sunday morning, I woke up uh, having slept it off and um, I rethought it <laughs> and I thought to myself, you know what? That was in Madison. That was at night. That was a team that beat LSU that went to the wire with Michigan. And that was Ohio State down 10 at the half. In retrospect, once the bourbon had cleared, that's a pretty good win. You know? Like, it was so, in the moment, it was so easy to be like, God, why can't the pass game get going? Where the hell's Mike Weber? You know, I, I found myself, I suppose... You know what's fan? What's you know fanat, fan short for fanatic, right? I mean that's what that's what it it's, comes from is fanatic. I found myself acting like a fan who was blinded by an expectation that Urban Meyer has set that that and we have all accepted and ran with that Ohio State should annihilate everybody they play. Right. Well, come to find out, Wisconsin's really good. They're really good. They're damn good defensively. And that freshman quarterback played out of his ass. And Corey Clement's a good player. And they had a good game plan. They had a week off. And it was at their place. And it was at night. And they played really well. And we got out of there with a win. And it, it was just the first time, Johnny, in my time being around Ohio State, where I felt like what I did was irrational. And I really <laughs> didn't have a handle on, on the reality of the situation. And it was fascinating for me to go through it. Because it was unlike anything that I have ever experienced in, gosh, as long as I've been in the business. So going back till I was 20 years old. Yeah, I mean, it's it's something that kind of, I think, creeps in from time to time where you, you throw all logic out the window and you're just mad because you didn't get the toy you wanted at Christmas, right? Like, you got a really good toy. It's really awesome. You're going to love it. But you didn't get the one in the store. And so you're mad about it. 
And look, you absolutely nailed it when you said that we did not give Wisconsin their due either during the game, after the game, or before the game. Because they're no. a top 10, top 10 team with an unbelievable defensive line. Their defensive line is terrific. One of the yep. best in the country. Um, one of the best defensive you know, linemen, period, in the country. And, and you know, J.J.'s little brother there. Um, I, you know, I think there are legitimate things that you can look at the Ohio State football team and how they played and say, you know what, they need to clean this up. I mean, the, the wide receivers especially are not getting separation. Uh, there were some catches that they definitely should have made that they didn't. But like you said, this was a road game at night versus a top 10 opponent that had a week yep. off to prepare. And Paul Christ, this is the thing I've been saying. Paul coach. Christ coached his mind, like out of his mind. He was yeah, so, he was so great. good. Some of the play calls he was making were perfect, went totally against Ohio State's defensive, defensive tendencies. Like, you've got to give them credit for being a great team uh, on that night and, and really giving Ohio State a lot of problems. So, you know, to me, that's a good win uh, against a good team. That's a great and, win. And there yep. are definitely some some things that I think we can you know complain about and say this wasn't perfect and whatever. But I am certainly not going to like you know wring my hands and think that this is you know this is where we start the freshman slide and these guys these inexperienced right. kids don't know what they're doing. Like yeah. I don't think that's indicative of that at all. No, no, it's not. It's not indicative of that. It, and it's just it was such a surreal experience for me looking back on it. The way that I felt after the game and during the game. Right. And then the reality of it, having looked back on it, I mean, it wasn't even all the liquor like I, it, there. I was just, <laughs> you know, I wasn't that, it wasn't like I was all lit up. I mean, I still got to get up when my kids get up at six in the morning. That doesn't change. Right. So I didn't get you know, waylaid, but it was just a matter of just being really out of touch with reality. And, you know, in terms of you touched on. OK, so so what are the things that we can that, that we got to clean up as, as oh. this season goes along? If you're Urban Meyer, I mean, the jump right away is you're exactly right. It's the receivers. Yeah. It's the passing game. We are th- this football team has become too reliant upon JT Barrett to save the day. Yeah. This is an Urban Meyer trait that goes back to his time at Florida uh, with Tim Tebow, where he would run Tebow left, run Tebow right. It happened a lot in the 2012 season where it was run Braxton right, run Braxton left. Um, it happened last year in the second half of the year, especially in the Michigan State game. I remember the Penn State game as well. Urban Meyer spends the majority of his time around his quarterbacks in practice. And so they're the people he trusts the most. And so when he gets in a tight spot, they're who he trusts the most uh, because he's most familiar with them for, for no other reason other than that. And they're usually pretty damn good. Um, but we are too reliant on JT Barrett running the football and, yeah. and, and to sustain a season the way that we are. The reason that 2014 was allowed the reason that 2014 happened is because of the diversity in the offensive attack. And I do believe some of that was a credit to Cardale Jones's ability to stretch the field, but JT can stretch it too. They've got to be able to take shots. They've got to be able to throw the football because if they, if they can't do those things, they're not going to get to the college football playoff. You can't get, I, it's my belief that you cannot get to the college football playoff running JT Barrett 20 times a game. <laughs> bold, and bold that's what we're doing on that. That, that's thing. where we're at, dude. Yeah, 100%. I mean, and look, the thing is, you know, they try to go deep against Wisconsin, but I, I think what you're seeing is like a lack of creativity to try to get some of these players, the wide receivers especially, not just open, but play to their strengths. I mean, sometimes it feels like when you're looking at the wide receivers, they're trying to force one of them to be Devin Smith, right? Or or even Michael Thomas. And it's like, that's not who these guys are. They They have very specific skill sets 
And, and some of them are very good at what they're going to do. I mean, you look at Noah Brown and some of the things he can do in the end zone, but he's not going to be running these precise routes necessarily and getting you a slant route for 20 yards every time, like Michael Thomas or, or jumping over 50 dudes, you know, like Devin Smith. Like, you've got to be able to figure out what their strengths are. And right now, it, the passing game just seems out of sync. Um, yep. JT Barrett still finished with a good game overall. I mean, I think he, he did, counted yeah. for something like for 318 sure. total yards. Yep. Uh, second half, he was a much more accurate passer. But you've got to play to their strengths. And, and to me, that's in the, the short and intermediate passing game. And I just don't see a lot of creativity there. And that's, that's what I want to see out of that particular group. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I'm just thinking about the Michigan game. And I know how good that Michigan secondary is. And I just oh, think yeah. they're going to be able to put eight guys in the box. And they're going to dare jt to throw the ball on that secondary and if, if if ohio state can't make plays that's that that game is getting more and more interesting by the week with what has happened with the passing game and it's funny because i thought we turned a corner at oklahoma mm-hmm. and i thought that that's what this offense would look like the rest of the year and it, it's it's really dissipated uh, w- with each passing week so yeah. it'll be interesting this week if they can get it rolling a little bit um the, the one thing i want to say positively was you, i was the the amount of uh acumen on this coaching staff when it came to adjustments in this game was incredible the 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 way that they changed they went about their business fixing the defensive problems that were in the first half in the second half and the way that they i mean the the way they're playing red zone defense is incredible and the way that they made the adjustments this is the first time this team was punched in the mouth and they were punched square in the mouth and they responded at halftime and got it figured out and and that tells me that urban meyer trusts his coaches um, it tells me that, that Ohio State has a damn good coaching staff, and it makes you feel good about the rest of the season if you're a Buckeye fan because you feel like if they do get in a hole, and this was a hole, buddy. I mean, this oh, yeah. is down 10 on the road, and Wisconsin gets the ball to start the second half. Like, right. this was a hole, and and this was a punch in the mouth, and they responded, and credit where it's due because that is a hell of a way to respond to to being backed up against a wall the way that they were, and that, that's, that's a sign of a pretty damn good coaching staff. Oh, absolutely. I mean – I don't know how many yards Wisconsin got in the second half, but it <laughs> like if you probably look at that, I'm sure it's heavily, heavily weighted towards the first. If you look at their total, oh yard, sure, because yeah, they got sure. nothing going in the second half, and it a lot of it is not. I mean, you we do again. I, I mentioned this a lot on the on the podcast, but you know, Kyle Jones does a lot of the breakdowns and stuff. Ohio State does not have a particularly complex defense right like they'll play man yeah. they'll play a little bit of zone but that's it and, and they just they go with that because they understand that you know their secondary is athletic enough and fast enough and smart enough to make the plays where they need to and the linebackers can kind of go where they want but it's still about understanding the opponent's tendencies and that is all coaching that is all coaching where they say they're going to go there because we've seen them do it we know what their play style is now and like you said i mean credit is credits where credit is due because um a lot of times we give heat to coaches for not being able yeah. to make those kind of adjustments. Sometimes we get really upset if, you know, the team doesn't come out with their hair on fire and they deserve the credit when they do. So I, I thought that was incredible. And, um, you know, I was a guy who was kind of skeptical of the Shiano hire cause I'm stupid. Um, but I, I was really <laughs> afraid that the dude maybe would not mesh super well with the rest of the coaching staff. Cause I kind of saw him as a guy who was just looking for the next head coaching job. Uh, but clearly he has brought some really, great not not just great coaching and great scheming but he's a consistent guy like you can tell that the defense knows exactly what they're supposed to do and i think they appreciate the fact that there's a lot of continuity uh among all the units on the defense and then also with the guy who's in charge of the defense because it feels like in years past where they've had problems is that everybody was kind of doing their own thing each unit didn't really mesh very well and in this defense you can see how 
you know, the linebackers are flowing to where the defensive line are taking them and that the secondary is knows, you know, knows where to go. So that's what I want to see. And, and that's, like I said, indicative of great coaching. Yeah, it, it's it's funny. The only there's there's probably like two coaches in the country that could have hired Greg Schiano. And <laughs> right. We have one, and and the only maybe I mean Harbaugh maybe could have pulled something like that off. So maybe yeah. there's, maybe it's Harbaugh, Saban, and Urban. I mean there there's not many people that could have brought somebody with Schiano. I mean this Schiano, you know, built a Rutgers. There was a program at Rutgers. I mean right. now what Chris Ash is trying to I mean what Chris Ash is trying to pull out of the ashes right now is a far cry from what Greg Schiano had it to when he had guys like Ray Rice, you know, on that football team. Oh, those are Brian told those were big time. That was a big time Rutgers football team. Yep. And 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 that's like he's the best coach in the history of that program. He's a program builder. Like he was up for the for the USC job and the Miami job. Greg Schiano is going to get a big time job when, whenever the next one opens and he's ready for it and it aligns, he will get a big time coaching job. He was, you know, a hot coach who was hired by the Tampa Bay Bucks. Like this is a big time guy on their staff and to be able to add him and and not worry about people's feelings being hurt it's it's a product of the culture that urban meyer has created of competition 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 a competition on the coaching staff competition with the players um and it brings out the best in everybody so uh you know it's the reason that you can lose the players you've lost and you have the record that you have it's the reason that 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 i can feel pissed off at us on a saturday night with an overtime win at wisconsin (laughs) And and the reality sets in the next day that that's actually a heck of a win. It, that's right. that's how spoiled we are right now. Um, that that these are the norms, and it's not normal. I mean, people people don't have programs like this. There's one other one, and that's it. Um, so so it's a good spot as as we head into to Penn State this week to to be undefeated, to be unblemished with all of the losses that this football team had to the NFL. It's incredible, and and the more and more I look back on that Wisconsin win. Uh, buddy, the more I just feel that's a hell of a football win right there. All right, bringing on our friend Matt DeBear, Roar Lions Roar, our sister site over in Happy Valley. And uh, Matt, I, my perception, and I'm, I'm always interested the way that we perceive things and the reality. And the perception that I have from from my vantage point, being someone been around the Big Ten for covering it pretty closely for 10 years in Ohio State for most of those years, is that James Franklin really needs a win. He really needs a win like the one that he could potentially get on Saturday. I don't know if there's pressure. My perception is I don't know if there's pressure for him where to the point where he would lose his job or anything like that. Um, but it's probably time for maybe some – like if there's a belief in his program, he needs to have a signature win, and, and certainly Saturday would be one of those wins. How close is that perception to the reality? Well, I think it probably depends a lot on who you talk to. Um, we were having this conversation uh, amongst us over at Roar Lions Roar um, back – gosh, probably after the Pitt game or maybe after the Michigan game, which obviously didn't go, go Penn State's way. But the there's almost this desire or movement, it seems like, from the national media and the non, non-Penn State part of the world that James Franklin is in way over his head and needs a win and needs a big win or you know he's on a short leash. I think there is some truth to that in that that's the next step for the program is getting that, that win against an Ohio state or Michigan or, um, you know, a ranked team, which has kind of been the, the big sticking point. Um, even going back to his time at Vanderbilt, you know, he had those, those nine win seasons, but he did it against a, a down sec and um, a really light non-conference schedule. I think among Penn state fans, for the most part, there is an understanding of the reality of the situation he walked into um, you know, the fact that, you know, seven and six and seven and six in his first two years in a, in a vacuum isn't great. But I think when you take into account that those are probably the two 
most difficult seasons as a result of the sanctions that were handed down back in 2012. Um, yes, they've been rolled back, but the, the long-term impacts from a depth standpoint and a um, senior standpoint is, you know, lingers for a couple of years after. Uh, the fact is that this is still a team that has something like eight or nine scholarship seniors and between two thirds and three quarters of the roster scholarship rosters made up of freshman and sophomore eligibility. So I think the truth is probably somewhere in the middle as usually is with these sorts of things where yes, that, that big win against an Ohio state, you know, the number two team in the country would be the next step that this program needs to take. But I don't think it's a, you know, win or else sort of thing that it seems like it's out there on, in some areas. So that actually warms my heart. That, that, real quick, that warms my heart because that, that's good to know that they're because I think he's doing. The, I think he and Bill O'Brien have done the most difficult. Have taken on the most difficult job that you could ever take on. I mean, Bill for the time that he was there, and now James, you know, trying to steer that ship out of out of the muck. And and at the same time, you know, I, I've, one of my really great friends is a Penn State alumni, and and you know, he's very much in the Joe Pa world. And it's like, you can't shake, he can't shake it. Like he, he believes in Joe and, and, and at the same time, you kind of got to move on. I just think it's a really, really tough job. So that makes me happy to know that, the, that the way that I perceive it and perhaps the way that a lot do in the national media is off. Yeah. I don't think it's, I don't mean to, to sugarcoat things. You know, I think, you know, I wrote something uh, on the site a couple of weeks ago now. Um, maybe it was last week. I don't know. It's all kind of running together. But yeah. at halftime of that Minnesota game, it was kind of a, a tipping point for the program. You know, they had, they had just come off the the sound beating at, in Ann Arbor um, where it was never even close, and there were some coaching decisions that were made, you know, the short field goal, um, a punt, you know, while trailing late. Just, you know, the sorts of things that you that – ma- that made the country fall in love with James Franklin to some degree when he was at Vanderbilt, taking risks and kind of not caring what what the, the expected thing to do is, whether it's punting or kicking or things like that. Um, he's kind of resorted to this conservative form that is weird and different, especially after two years of Bill O'Brien. Um, but I think if you asked me that question two weeks ago, um, the answer would have been a lot different. Um, if you asked me at halftime of the Minnesota game, it would have been, um, you know, where, where's our next coach coming from? But I think right. the second half comeback and overtime winning against Minnesota and the sound beating and, and really all facets of Maryland, who's not a great team, but Penn State did to them what you do to not great teams if you're a good team. Um, and I think there's still obviously a gap between the Michigans and Ohio States of the world. But I think from my perspective, at least, and I think of the the, the majority of rational state fans that, you know, this this is not a, a two or three year fix. You know, the, the talent's getting in there, but it's still young. There's a level of patience that has to be exercised. And I'm not sure. Um, you know, there's a there's certainly a, a vocal faction of the Penn State fan base that doesn't have that patience. You know, they remember some some form of the Joe Paterno era. Um, you know, I yeah. can go on and on about what the program had turned into, um, and you know, even before everything that happened in 2011. But I was a student there from 2001 through 2004, which was a 19 and 26 record, or 21 and 26, I think, over right. over those four years with one bowl game and a three and nine and a four and seven season with no scholarship limitations, unless you take into account the recruiting or lack thereof that was going on from the staff at that point. <laughs> so I think the, the perception of, of what Penn state is um, you know, even pre Sandusky scandal in 2011 among that part of the fan base in Niskan, my opinion, I certainly don't put, intend to speak for everyone, uh, every Penn state fan, 
but I think the perception of where Penn State was, you know, the, the day before that all that news broke was a little inflated. Yes, they were undefeated, but they had squeaked out a bunch of close wins and still had the toughest part of their schedule left that year. And going back to 2010 and, and, and yeah, the 2005 and 2008 teams were, were solid, but I don't think they weren't those 90s era and prior Penn State teams right. that I think a lot of those Joe Paterno loyalists remember being remember as Penn State. It hadn't Penn State hadn't been Penn State to some degree for a long time, and I think that's forgotten in everything that's happened with the program in the last five years. Well, I got to tell you something. That's that's basically what I wanted to ask you about because I don't know what Penn State is right now, and and, and to me, part of the reason why James Franklin is on a bit of a hot seat, especially with some of the Penn State fans, is because it doesn't seem like Penn State right now has an identity as a football team. Whereas, and, and granted, I, I'm totally with you where Penn State didn't do a lot of recruiting and maybe they didn't have the identity that they thought they really did. But a lot of that came from Joe Paterno. And, and a lot of that, you know, whatever Penn State is, came from a singular person and, you know, what he represented to the program. James Franklin, to me, he's not a non-entity, but he hasn't developed something that you can look at and go, all right, that's Penn State football. What does he have to do to maybe endear himself to those fans that are still skeptical, are still looking for you know, whatever they think is emblematic of, of Nittany Lion football? What does he have to do to um, just give him that attitude back to the program? Well, I think the, the simple answer to that is win games. Um, you know, easier said than done in a division with um, at least this year, just Michigan and Ohio State, but obviously Michigan State's um, you know previous four or five years, um, you're in a, you're in a tough division where you're playing um, you know right now two top five teams every year, um, and a team in Michigan State that's been top ten or fifteen or whatever it's been pretty consistently for the last five or six years, and so I think from from a very simplistic standpoint, it's just win games and compete with those teams and continue to stockpile talent. Like I said, the, the the roster is a huge majority underclassmen. And a lot of those kids are just now starting to take on more significant roles. And they're starting to be developed at a rate that's more in line with what should happen. You know, the previous two years, a lot of those talented recruiting classes were thrust into significant uh, roles, you know, as starters or significant uh, reserves very early on. And I think especially now on, on the offensive defensive line, especially you're seeing guys worked in at a more appropriate pace, not having to play too many snaps, um, being worked in with more, more experienced players. And that's just a level of patience. Like I said earlier, um, you know, we hope we all want everything to happen overnight. And unless you're recruiting like Ohio state has um, under urban Meyer, and even before that, you're just not bringing in the type enough difference makers that are going to contribute and make those differences right away. Um, so I think it's really a matter of, of letting those talented underclassmen develop, redshirt if they need to, um, and, and building up that talent so you are winning more games. As far as an identity, I, you know, Penn State's always been the you know, power football, again, under Joe Paterno, the power football team that's going to play sound defense, not going to beat themselves. And I think there still needs to be an element of that. And I think, you know, I even look at a team like Michigan or Ohio State, that are more flashy and have the big plays that their heart, they're still, they, they win those games on the line. And I think that's what Penn state's trying to get back to. And you look at the types of recruiting classes that have been brought in and where those players um, 
are playing, the the difference will come as those players on both the offensive and defensive line become juniors and seniors instead of freshmen and sophomores and are able to to really become that power football team that allow that the skill outside and in the backfield and, and everywhere to to really show. Um but I I think too, I, I look at the changes that have been made from a coaching standpoint between last year and this year, Joe Moorhead coming on on the offensive side of the ball, running more of an up-tempo spread look, where I'm not sure, um, you, you phrased it very well, I'm not sure there really was an identity on offense a year ago. Um, I think on defense, um, it's sort of a transitional period with losing three NFL linemen off the defensive line last year. Obviously, the injuries at linebacker that um, Penn State's endured this year with um, guys that have three different starters that have missed time at linebacker already this year um, at a thin position. So I think there it's it will always be a power attacking defense that you know, wants to pressure the quarterback, wants to create mistakes, wants to force turnovers. Um, and I think that that will always be the case, but especially this season, that's that's a development that's taking place as opposed to what they what they are. Well, Matt, one thing that 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 I I was at the game two years ago. I was at the game last year in Columbus and. The, the one thing that, that I noticed was Saquon Barkley, right? So as we talk about this game, you got a special tailback. And I'm with you. Last year, you didn't know what they were trying to do offensively, and Hackenberg was never comfortable. Conversely, two years ago, Hackenberg was great. As you know, you almost pulled the upset, you know, in, in what it will go down as one of the greatest college football atmospheres I've ever been in, without question. Um, when they do the <laughs> living on a prayer, what is it living on a prayer that they do in the fourth quarter? They do a number of different things. Sweet Caroline. That, it's just, it's kind of just a big, I know Sweet big Caroline, karaoke I, bar. Yeah. I remember them doing living on a prayer. Songs. It was living on a prayer. It was so loud as that game went into it. was just incredible. Um, but, but, but what jumped out to me from a year ago was Saquon Barkley. And what jumps out to me in this week's game is that Wisconsin had a great deal of success running the football against Ohio State a week ago in Madison. And now they've got, I think, facing a better running back at night at his place with a week off. And I would think that that would be what, what Ohio state would be looking at on Saturday night is a heavy dose of Saquon Barkley. Well, I think if Penn state had their way, that would be the case really up until the Maryland game a couple of weeks ago, that hadn't been the case. Cause everyone you know, went into the game knowing Saquon Barkley was the one guy you didn't want to beat you. You wanted to force the first year starter quarterback Trace, Trace McSorley to beat you. You wanted to be able to tee off on a, a still growing offensive line um, and try and get pressure on the quarterback and, and prove that the passing game could beat you. And I think, while it hasn't been consistent, I think there's been enough flashes from McSorley and probably the most talented position group on the team at wide receiver with guys like Chris Godwin and Deshaun Hamilton and uh, DeAndre Tompkins, who's really emerged this year, and Mike Kosicki, a tight end, who's really turned it around from a really disappointing sophomore season a year ago. You've seen enough of a passing game where teams have started to re- to respect that to the amount or to the level where Barkley finally had some space against Maryland to the tune of 202 yards and, and a touchdown. Um, he hasn't been bad by any means, but he's, you know, for the first five games of the year, it was really, he's the one guy that every defensive coordinator didn't want to be the guy to beat them. They were going to make, make Trace McSorley and the receivers in the passing game beat them. And whether it was Maryland's scheme or, the the emergence of a more more powerful offensive line or taking advantage of a, a weak Maryland defense, you finally saw that Saquon Barkley that took the country by storm as a freshman last year. I'm I'm sure 
Greg Schiano and Luke Fickle and Urban Meyer are, are very well aware of, and, and, and Urban said as much yes on Monday in his press conference, yeah. that you know he's a first-round talent and you're not going to stop him. You just hope you slow him down or something to that effect. So I, I'd, I'd be shocked if you're not seeing seven, eight-man boxes, run blitzes you know, with, with the goal to, to try and slow him down and make McSorley and, and the passing game beat you. And of course, then you get into Ohio State's loaded secondary and and all the talent yep. that that they're able to throw at you on the back end. Yeah, one of the things. I mean, I was kind of thinking about this the past couple of games. I mean, Ohio State has shown a few vulnerabilities, you know, coming into Penn State. I mean, they were slow against Rutgers, and they they had kind of a you know obviously a sluggish start against Wisconsin. Where are some parts? in the Ohio State, either defense or offense, that you think Penn State might be able to tee off on? I think overall, Ohio State has a pretty, you know, big talent advantage, but guys like Saquon Barkley, are they able to take advantage of some of the holes that Ohio State has maybe shown in the past couple weeks and maybe make this game a lot more interesting than a lot of Ohio State fans think is going to happen? Well, I think for Barkley specifically, the the million-dollar question is, how does this Penn State offensive line perform? If they're able to... He's a guy that doesn't need a you know a huge hole. If, if are they able to create enough of a crease and get to the second level with any consistency to give him the space that he needs? You know, as, as talented as he is, if you know there's not a hole and the linebackers are getting free runs at him, you know, there's only so much he can do. Um, I'm I think Ohio State has a huge advantage, not even advantage, but I think like I said, Penn State's receivers are are the most talented group, top to bottom, on the roster. But I look at what Ohio State secondary has done, um, you know, pretty consistently since the start of the year, and so I think that Shiano and Fickle are going to be confident enough, or at least go into the game with the idea that those defensive backs can stop the running game or stop the passing game, and really put their focus on on making making life miserable for Saquon Barkley. I think on the other side of the ball, if there's anywhere where Ohio, where Penn State has an advantage. The best group on the defense is, and it's almost by default to some degree, but it's a really talented group, um, mm. especially if they're able to get a little, help, little healthier as a secondary. And I think that's – and I, I surprisingly haven't watched a whole lot of Ohio State this year just with, with the way schedules and everything have fallen. <laughs> but I think you know, the, the, well, the, I what I do know – First of all, hang on a second. I, I apologize for assuming that you would have watched every single Ohio State game, but as an Ohio State fan, I'm utterly indignant that you haven't. So thank you for <laughs> – for bringing that up, I appreciate that. Well, it's funny. I've I, I grew up in Columbus, so I it's one of those things where I wrote about it on our site earlier this week that uh, um, you know that this is my favorite week of the year, the favorite week of the season is Penn State Ohio State week, and you know throw out all the whether this is a rivalry talk or whatever, throw that all out the window. You say Penn State Ohio State, it's a big game, and really since Penn State's entered the Big Ten, this has been the game they play every year they're they're two traditional powers they recruit the same players they're they share a border all that stuff so it's just a big game but i've always um you know whether i'm i'm rooting against them or just out of sheer curiosity like to watch ohio state and especially um you know of late they're just it's you know as a, as a fan of football they're a fun team to watch um there's just so much talent and, and all that stuff but i have not seen as much this year as i have in past years but i think and you guys can certainly correct me if i'm i'm overestimating or, or overstating this, but I think Ohio State's passing game is probably taking a bit of a step back just because of the, the sheer amount of um, player loss on, the, on at receiver and as, as, on, from the pass catchers to the NFL in the last couple of years. Not to take anything away from the talent that's there, but it's young and it's, it's still growing and they're looking for guys to emerge. So I think 
to, to answer the question that you posed about five minutes ago, hmm. uh, if, if Penn State has a spot where they feel like they match up pretty well, it's probably in when Ohio State's looking to throw the ball. The, the tough challenge for Penn State is really going to be um, stopping that, that running game led by Barrett. Um, as I mentioned, there's, there's a potential to get all three linebackers who have missed time, time this year. But as it stands right now, only one sort of starter, um, outside linebacker Manny Bowen, who's, who's been a starter for several weeks now and has, has really um, started to grow into the role. But at middle linebacker, they have a former walk-on starting. And at the other, at the other outside linebacker, it's either been Cole Farmer, who's bounced back and forth between linebacker and safety um, since he came to Penn State, or true freshman Cam Brown. There's a potential to get back uh, Jason Cabinda, who started the year at middle linebacker, as well as Brandon Bell, who's probably the most talented, healthy linebacker when he is healthy. Um, Maine Mortman White, of course, out for the year with knee injury. Um, but I think from a what Ohio State wants to do, running the ball with the, the read option look and putting stress on on the linebacker position and the ends of the line, that's going to be a huge challenge for Penn State. It's just the youth and inexperience and, you know, essentially playing guys that are second or third on the depth chart, playing significant snaps just out of sheer necessity. That's, that's a huge challenge. And I'm, I'm admittedly not sure how Penn state slows down that part of the Ohio state offense. Matt, thanks for your time, buddy. We do appreciate it and appreciate the good work you guys are doing over that roar lines roar as well. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on guys. Thank you. All right, good stuff there from Matt. Um, a couple of things jumped out to me, and just we taped this on Tuesday. Uh, LeBron in Columbus, and I saw you know him superimposed with Ohio State gear and, oh, all yeah, this, you know, yeah. and Ohio State <laughs> uniform and all this stuff. And I heard him say like, you know, on Instagram, "There's no way I wasn't going to play for those people and those fans and that school." And the, and I just think like how lucky Ohio State is that he has that affection for them. That oh, he, no kidding. Because he they. There's, there was no previous real relationship. I mean, the, the, he was always, um, you know, he always has said he would go to Ohio State, but, you know, who knows if that scenario, I think it was Jim O'Brien who was the coach at that time who didn't even recruit him because he knew. Um, and so it's it's been a convenient relationship, but Ohio State gets so much more from it than LeBron does. LeBron benefits because he's a natural fan and so forth, but, boy, that's big for the school to be able to have that guy – Say and I'm, I wish that the basketball program could take better advantage of it. I know they wear the LeBron gear, but I wish there was a better way where they could, you know, where Thad could stoke the recruiting a little bit and, and take right. a little better advantage of having the best player on the planet uh, basically fully endorse them at every opportunity. Yeah, can can states like canonize people? Because honestly, like LeBron James yeah. at this point, I, if he's not the patron <laughs> state of Ohio at this point, I don't know who would be. I mean, Ohio's got a very long and storied history of excellent right. Americans, but at this yeah. moment. I think LeBron right. James has to be that dude. Like that's Well, don't you think at the very least like this is this is cliché radio topic for June, but at the very least he's on the Ohio Mount Rushmore, isn't he? Oh god, yeah. And that's point. an incredible Mount Rushmore. I mean, that's Jack Nicholas, that's Jesse Owens, uh that's Pete Rose. I mean, that's if you're that's, talking about sports sort of, purely, I, I mean, I, I'm even yeah. like in all walks of life. Well, you want to approaching that. Well, he's certainly better than anyone we ever ran out for president, so it would really be between like <laughs> Grant and Sherman. You know, right. it'd be like LeBron, Sherman, Grant, and Jack Nicholas, <laughs> Paul Brown. I mean, like that's kind of. I get. I put. I, I think I might bump one of them off for Jesse Owens, but Jesse Owens wasn't born in Ohio, so I don't know if you can necessarily count him. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Do you? Yeah, do you count somebody who's born in Ohio or who? I think you yeah. got to be born and raised. I think you got to be. I think okay. you have to be born okay. with so the that, born. So that's good because I wouldn't want to have to consider that. So, but Paul is Paul Brown born in Ohio? 
I don't know. Actually, I'm not sure about that. He might be. Spent almost his whole life here, so I mean, I think we could yeah. all, we could certainly count him. Um, but yeah, he's it, anyway. It's nice to have him, you know, so out on, in his support of Ohio State. The other thing that's that was interesting to me that I saw was uh, Robert Smith's proclamation today that Michigan is the best team in the country, not just the Big Ten, but the best team in the country. And yeah, no, look, that's <laughs> that's great. Uh, I I do think. That as I'm as I've watched more and more football as the season goes along, my initial thought was that Michigan was overvalued. I said that on the podcast, I've said it on my radio show, said it on the TV show, um, that I really felt like Michigan was overvalued. But the more football I watch of them, they seem to be getting better and better. Yeah, and I, their defense is legitimate. And th- as the weeks go on, the more I am concerned for that game at the end of it. I'm not not to the point where I think Ohio State's going to lose the game, but I do think we're headed for a dogfight. Yeah, no, I mean, you're absolutely right about that. That's exactly what I was going to say, that it's not about what a team looks like at the beginning of September. And I, I hate I hate that we evaluate teams, especially teams that we don't right. play until the end of the year, based on the first couple weeks of the season that we might have been paying attention to them, right? And, and we, we'll go, and, and there's going to be so many Ohio State fans, if this thing goes to both teams being undefeated, there's going to be a lot of Ohio State fans who watch Michigan, you know, for a couple games here and there, and they're like, you know, I don't know how they're doing. I don't think they really deserve that ranking, blah, blah, blah. Man, they are getting better every single week, especially the passing game, especially some of the other stuff that they're doing uh, on defense because they're really getting creative. Um, that's what good teams do. They progressively get better throughout the year until they start peaking around the end of November. Um, that's what all of Jim Tressel's best teams did. That's what Irv Meyer's teams have done. And don't assume that just because we have beaten the crap out of Michigan so many years in a row and because, yeah. you know, they they maybe didn't deserve the ranking they had at the very beginning of the season doesn't mean that they're going to be a really really good team at the end of the season because they just get better every single week and even against Wisconsin where the offense couldn't get it going that they, they are a legit team and it's going to be really yeah, interesting to see what happens to these guys in November it is last last point I want to get before we get to ask us anything is Daryl Hazel was fired last week Daryl Hazel was one of my favorite people I covered at Ohio State Daryl Hazel I think if Jim Tressel would have been given the ability to coach out his tenure and Daryl Hazel would have had a hell of a chance of following him at Ohio state. That's how highly the people who ran the program and were the power brokers in Columbus felt of of Daryl Hazel. The, the opinion of him was that high. The fact that he failed and there's no other way to put it as much as I like him as an individual, there's no other way to put it. This was an abject failure at Purdue of, of really incredible proportions. They did not get better. Uh, they stood in, in the same place and maybe regressed. The fact that he couldn't recruit there is the rec- stunning to me. Yeah, the recruiting I, I just was It was stunning that he was yeah. not able to even – I mean, Indiana doesn't have a lot of wins, but you can tell they're a team that's competent and, and has some talent. He couldn't even do that, and it's shocking to me because anybody who played for him revered him, loved him, he was the bright shining star on that coaching staff because Dino was already gone by the time that I got there. He was the bright shining star in that coaching staff. He was the one that you thought would be a big time coach. He was the Tom Herman. My, yeah. Everybody thought he was be Tom Herman. And, and for him to fail that, that at that level at Purdue is something that blows my mind. I did not see it coming. Yeah. I mean, it, it's interesting to see how sometimes like coaches that you, you would think would just do great. Like they would just immediately step on that stage kind of don't really take to that. And I don't know what's take, next man. for Daryl Hazel, but I still think, I mean, <laughs> I want to believe that he can still coach. 
But yeah, what happened yeah, at Purdue I, was. Don't you think? He, don't you think he ends on ends up at like Michigan State coaching yeah, offense? Got, I mean, he's going to be on. That's a I think. I mean, yeah, he yeah. Has too I, much I think he ends up with, with the people yeah. in the Big Ten. His reputation. There are too many guys who know him, who know yeah. that he can coach, who are going to allow him to do so. So I don't, you know, I don't think he's going to be out of the game for too long. But yeah, man, that, that what happened at Purdue was Shocking. bad. I'm. That's a tough job. I'm not minimizing the job. It's a tough job. And, and I right. think it was a little bit of a mirage of the success they had in the late nineties and early two thousand with Joe yes. Tiller because of, they were the only ones doing that at that time. Like he could recruit, you know, painter and breeze and those guys because they, you know, Kyle Orton, they, they were the only ones throwing it 60 times a game. Right. And I think you do have to be that type of coach in some of those places where you have to do something that nobody else is doing. Um, but the, the level of failure is, is shocking to me. Yeah. Um, well, what do you got for us? Uh, ask us anything this week. Yeah, we got some ask us anything. We're going to try to motor through these kind of quickly, but, uh, we've okay. got some, <laughs> you got some questions. I we got, we got a lot. So I want to make sure that okay. we can try to, try right. to get through it. Uh, email us. We'll go rapid fire. At uh, Twitter at 11 dubcast. First one's from Alvin. Just quick summary of what he uh, wants to know. Uh, what do you do if you're talking to a, a person casually, somebody who just comes up to yeah. you, and I'm sure this happens to you a lot, actually, and uh-huh. they want to talk about high state football and they just start spouting nonsense. What's your reaction to that? Like, how do you kind of gently maybe? No, I don't do it gently. It might, <laughs> I'm, I might be a bit of an ass. I, I immediately correct them. I immediately correct them. <laughs> Good. No, I, I, don't, you I have no patience for, um, for, uh, false falsehoods when it comes to uh especially if i know that what they're saying is nonsense i immediately right. correct them and i don't do it gently i just tell them right away they're wrong and then they <laughs> wrong, and then no. if, i, I, I tell them right away no you're that. wrong and then we move on yeah i think ohio state fans need that i think that's the only real way that's 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 what's best for them you know sometimes that's just, every program's that way but i mean that these little crazy stories that get you know it's like that what's the game the little kids play when you tell a secret and by the get to the end it's a totally different oh, secret. Yeah, telephone telephone game or that, that's a lot like what happens with with college football rumors, where a story starts. Hey, I heard that. Da, 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 da. Nope, that's not what happened. Here's what happened, and then it's over. So yeah. not gently, Alvin. <laughs> All right. Uh, so this is from uh, Dan here. Dan wants to know. Um, you know, he's going to the Penn State game. Yep. Can you give him any suggestions for for hot places to hit at the at Happy Valley? Okay, I think that I wish him luck because while it's my favorite place to watch a game in the Big Ten, it is my least favorite place to try to uh, stay. It's the worst hotel situation in the in the in the country. There's yeah, no worse hotel that. situation. It's awful. It's just awful. Yeah. Um, it is an awesome college town, though. It's an awesome college town. We the, to, to to answer his question, I couldn't tell him where to go to have a good time because I had to stay 30 minutes outside of State College because there were no hotels. I stayed at a truck stop every time that I went to Happy Valley. I stayed at a truck stop on the freeway 30 miles outside of Penn State <laughs> because there were no hotels. So I remember we had there was a good like sports bar, Italian place right on their main street there, but it's a small town. You'll find the places and you'll have a great time. It is a really cool college experience um there's just no hotels yeah i gotta say you know what it, in a place like that i almost think it'd be more war- rewarding just to follow the people see where they're going and have a good time yeah, you'll you know be what fine. I mean? like, and it's a small town anyway out any one specific place yeah. just to see where people are going and enjoying themselves yeah, uh, you, right, you'll so find them i'm sorry good no no that's it i was just gonna say he'll, he'll find the people though it'll be easy oh yeah uh, next one here is from Jason. He wants to know where the best coffee in Columbus is made. I don't drink coffee, so I have no dog in this fight. Um, okay, I love Stoffs. Yeah, Stoffs. I love Stoffs. Stoffs and Grandview. 
the, my first six years I was in Columbus, I lived in Marble Cliff and uh, I love Stoss. Love it. Yeah. That's it's great. comes up a lot. And a lot of people are kind of incredulous that as a teacher, I don't drink coffee, but yeah, my, I would say my coworkers would agree with you on that one. They're a big fan. Yeah, of that. it's good. Yep. All right. So last one here, this is from, this is from our good pal, Kurt. We're, we're big fans of Kurt over there uh, doing, holding down the wrestling stuff here. Uh, he says, is the first name, last name, senior thing uh, that seems to have spun out lately ridiculous, or am I just being angry for no reason? So I, I think he might be referring to Terrell Pryor, Pryor for example, put in the prior senior on there. Uh, he continues and says, I understand that you need both the junior-senior distinction when father and son are both known by their particular names and their particular circles, like Ken Norton, junior-senior, Kyle mm-hmm. Ripken, King Griffey, yep. etc. But no one knows Terrell Pryor Jr. or Steve yeah. Smith Jr. or Tremont Williams Jr. Someone needs to stop this. Is it me or are these guys just having recently declared themselves as senior? This is the first time anyone's asked me this question. This would My initial reaction was, yeah, it's silly. Then I started to think about it. And I started to think about uh, the black community and how a lot of these kids grow up without dads. Yeah. And I'm wondering, just hypothesizing, but I'm wondering if this is Terrell Pryor, Steve Smith, whoever else does this, if this is their way of saying, I'm a dad, I got my kid, he's named after me and I'm going to raise him right. That's, you know what? that's my, I'm wondering if that's what this is about. I did not, I didn't even think about that angle, but I think that's a fantastic point. And if that's, if that's where they're going, I think that's really cool. I think that's awesome. Um, because that's my guess at what they're why they're doing it. Yeah, being proud of being a dad, like I don't, you know what? I'm gonna let's make Kurt feel real bad, and let's say that's exactly what they're doing. Because <laughs> no, I think it's I understand where he's coming from. You know, yeah. like, I do get where he's coming from. Like it right. seems ridiculous, but as your and my initial reaction when when you started reading the question was, he's right, that's ridiculous. But then I started to think about it, and I thought, <laughs> you know what? I wonder if, if that's what this is about. It's about yeah. I'm I'm a I'm a proud black man who has a son who's named after me, and I'm gonna raise him, and I'm gonna be that's a dad. Cool. I wonder if that's what what it's about. My guess is it is. Yeah. You know what? There's that. That's, that's a great thing to be proud of. Um, I'm a junior myself. My dad has to go by senior because we're both teachers in the state of Ohio. So we're both in the STRS system. We're both in another number of systems and we're both Johnny Ray Ginter, which I'm going to tell you something. No one else is named in the state of Ohio. So uh, it's, that's (laughs) to us. That's kind of a necessity. We have to do that, but you know what? I'm going to, yeah, I'm with you. I think that's cool. And I think more people should do it. Let's 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 let's. let's that's what it. I'm guessing. I, I'm guessing that's what it's about. So, uh, but don't feel bad. I, I think that <laughs> my initial feeling was probably similar to his, is that that was silly. But in after giving it some thought, as you were asking the question, I'm wondering if that's what it's about. Uh, all right, buddy. It is uh, it is Penn State week. Another fun one. We'll recap it next week. Uh, good talking to you as always. I'll see you next week on the Dubcast. Absolutely. See you next week.